Welcome, world travelers, to Global Connections, hosted by the Office of International Programs and KCSU. I'm your host, DJ Cassie Local, alongside DJ Jada J Global. My name is Colette Sterling, and I'm a fourth year studying communication studies, and I work with the Office of International Programs. My name is Jada Johnson, and I'm a third year studying poli sci and ethnic studies, and I work with Colette at the Office of International Programs. So as your hosts, we are passionate in bringing you, no matter where you are, into the know of topics that relate to international social justice and equity to bridge a global dialogue. We are so excited to get going with our first ever episode where we will be talking Peace Corps, the ins, outs, bad, good. Uh, we have two former Peace Corps volunteers with us. We will have the opportunity to really delve into the intent, impact, and the experience of this organization. Of course, we wouldn't be talking about this without our two wonderful guests. So let's welcome Matt Donovan and Jen Johnson. Welcome to the show, y'all. Thank you. So Jen Johnson is currently the assistant director here at CSU for SLICE, the Office of Student Leadership, Involvement, and Community Engagement, and does work as co-chair for the Student Affairs and Higher Ed Program in the School of Education. Jen participated in the Peace Corps from 1999 to 2001 as an education volunteer, where she was stationed in the Gambia, West Africa, in the village of Tujerong. Matt Donovan is an alumni from CSU, and he is currently working in home health and is an active in a number of different community activist groups, um, most notably the Fort Collins chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, Matt served as a community health volunteer in Nicaragua from 2016 through 2018 and focused on HIV, STI prevention, teenage pregnancy prevention, and maternal health. So let's dive into what got you into the Peace Corps, because you both have really interesting pathways into the organization. So Jen, why did you want to be involved with the Peace Corps? So I uh, started my service about one month after I graduated from undergrad. There were a couple of things that motivated me. One was I had my undergraduate degree in genetics and cell biology, and I wasn't necessarily seeing a future for myself in the two paths that I saw available to me at that point. One was industry and one was the medical field. And so I wanted to do something meaningful with my time, but didn't quite know exactly what I wanted. And so in a way, I saw the Peace Corps as a way to, you know, do a little bit more self-exploration, have an adventure, and um, hopefully buy myself a little bit of time. What about you, Matt? It sounds like my path into Peace Corps was kind of similar. I know growing up, I knew a lot of Peace Corps volunteers, uh, former volunteers, including my aunt who served in Senegal. I also graduated uh, in biology, focusing on genetics and microbiology. And um, having worked in a research lab, I knew that I didn't want to go into laboratory research, um, but I didn't really have any experience in healthcare or public health. And so, yeah, I guess I, I spent a lot of time um, talking to uh, former volunteers. And so I, had, I felt like I had a pretty good idea of what I was getting myself into. Um, but as we'll get into, obviously, you don't really know until you're there. Mm -hmm. You two are touching on this a little bit, but what did you think the Peace Corps was like before you actually joined up? So the image that I think came to my mind at that time was of a white woman playing with small black children and making their lives better in some unspecified way. <laughs> that's not super specific, but I think that's honestly what I thought. I think my 
my perspective was that the Peace Corps was a lot of people my age um, just kind of going on an adventure. I knew that there were two very different types of volunteers uh, from talking with return Peace Corps volunteers. There were, you could say, the good volunteers and then the hammock volunteers. And so I knew that there was a, a pretty big mixture of people doing really good work, people doing a little bit of work and kind of skating through, and then people who were just reading novels for two years in a hammock on a beach. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that there was a wide uh, variety. Um, but I also think that by the time I started getting involved, well, not the not the myth of the white savior, but that that wasn't as prominent of like of people going in. People kind of knew that that wasn't going to be the reality and that that wasn't what it was supposed to be or anything like that. One dynamic between both of your guys' stories is that, Jen, you actually didn't have the opportunity to choose where you were stationed. And so you were just dropped into the Gambia. And Matt, you actually had the option of choosing. Can you guys both talk about that shift and like what it was to adapt? As was previously mentioned, I served from 1999 to 2001. And at that time, when a volunteer went through the interview process to be selected, you got to choose a region. So Asia, Africa, South America, and then you got to choose a sector. So agriculture, health, education, and so on. So when I did my interview, um, I knew I wanted to be a math science teacher because I had a math and science background. And I also had a minor in Spanish. So initially when I did my interview, I said I wanted to go somewhere in Central or South America as my region, and I wanted to do a math science position. At that time, there were no positions in math science education in uh, Central or South America. So they asked me for my second choice. And so I, I picked Africa. And so, yeah, the way it worked was you just got like this packet in the mail and it was like, here's your post. You're going to the Gambia. <laughs> and I was like, what? I, like, I don't even know where that is. Yeah. So I had to get the map out. The truth is, I think that there's some real value to that strategy. I can see in terms of recruitment, I think people are really motivated to know exactly the job they'll do and exactly where they're going and that kind of thing. However, my opinion is that the number one quality that helps volunteers to be successful is flexibility. And so I think the interview process that I went through really was the beginning of that um, in terms of can you be nimble? Can you go with the flow? Can you listen uh, to what's needed and respond. And so in a way, I really liked that. The other thing is that I actually believe had I been placed in Central or South America, where I had a minor, a little bit more knowledge about the history, I would have had different expectations, maybe higher expectations. And so going to a place like the Gambia, which was completely unknown to me, um, you know, Muslim country, I was speaking Mandinka language, which is an indigenous language there. I didn't have any cultural competence in terms of working in West Africa, but I think because everything was an unknown, my expectations or even the idea that I had in my head was really blurry. And so in a way, I think it helped me to be successful because I just didn't have any clue. Yeah, that's a really cool perspective um, because it's very similar to um, my experience in a lot of ways. I believe I was, I may have been the first group using the new application, but if I wasn't the first, I was definitely the second or third. And so the new application is much more like a job. They have uh, qualifications for every sector and every post, and they're very specific. You get three preferences, and those preferences can be anything from language, sector, region, continent, country, all the way down to specific 
programs in specific countries. And so for me, what really drove me to choose Nicaragua as a, a preference was I had spent a little bit of time in southern Mexico uh, during my undergrad here at CSU, thanks to the SLICE office and Office of International Programs. And uh, so I really wanted to explore Central America more and be able to to live in that culture and really experience the culture. So let's place you both at your sites when you got there. What were some initial experiences th that framed those first couple of months? Most of the culture shock and things like that took place during training, during those first few months. Um, but I think that for me, I, I didn't experience as much as other people because I kind of tricked myself into thinking that I already had it covered because I had spent some time in Mexico. So one of the most poignant experiences was the very first day that I arrived at my training site and I showed up at the front door. They just, I mean, it's still the Peace Corps. So they did just drop me off on the side of the road. Like they, there's, I think they, they can't resist some amount of just throwing you in and letting you. That shock factor. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I just showed up in front of a random house on a random street in a city that I knew nothing about and uh, knocked on the door and a sweet old lady answered and it turns out it was my uh, host grandmother and she was the only one home. And so uh, it was hilarious because she had prepared this beautiful lunch for me, knowing that I was coming of like fried fish and salad and all of this stuff, all these fruit juices. And I knew that most of the food was probably going to make me sick if I just dove right in and ate it. But she was sitting right across from me, so happy that I was there, oh. just talking. And and so I ate all of it and just thought, I'll deal with the consequences when they inevitably come in a few hours. But I think that was such a, a cool experience right off the bat of just, she welcomed me right into the house, gave me a huge hug, this amazing meal, and we just sat and had the most awkward, uncomfortable conversation, like getting to know each other and interspersed with, you know, what's your background? And then do you stay up late at night? Because we like to go to sleep early and like that kind of things of getting to know each other, but also kind of like, is this going to work? Are we going to like each other? Are we going to hate each other? <laughs> what about you, Jen? Oh, man. Okay. So first experiences. So one thing to note is that Often uh, you do something called staging in the United States, which happens in a community in proximity to your location. So in my case, we were in Philadelphia and uh, you meet all the other volunteers that you're going to travel with. They send you to like a VA hospital to get all these shots. I think I passed out in like a room somewhere. It was so weird. My room, what, a couple early memories. One is that my roommate in staging in Philly, when we flew to the Gambia, we get there. She left the very next day. And I was like, what is happening right now? A couple other things. One is that when I arrived in the Gambia, there's a rainy season and a dry season. And it was rainy season when we arrived. And it was just, it just pours rain, like rain that you don't even see in the U.S. And I remember driving to this place we were going to stay overnight before we started our training. And there's corrugate roofs and there's women carrying these big baskets on their head, like wading through water and thinking like, what am I doing here? Like, I am totally unprepared. What I remember about training, so we did something, at the time, there were two different kinds of training models that the Peace Corps was using. One was called center-based training, where the volunteers just, like, stayed in a, a lodge or a hotel or something and did all their, you know, if you're a teacher trained, you'd be there, do the language training and so on. And the other was called community-based training, and that's what we did in the Gambia. 
So how that was structured was in all these villages in one particular region of the country, there would be three volunteers put in each village, each with their own host family. And then then in the mornings during the week, you would meet with what was called a language and cultural helper, and they would teach you the language that you were learning. We were split up into three groups. Um, A third of us learned Mandinka, a third of us learned Wolof, and a third of us learned Hula. Nobody spoke any of those languages before going. And then on the weekends, we went to this place called Tendaba Camp where you would get the training related to your job. So in our case, there were health volunteers, agriculture, and education. So a couple early memories. One is I just remember being, being so humbled, particularly around the language difference. Like I felt like here I am, like a college graduate, a smart person, all this stuff, but like I could not say a single thing. And so I spent a lot of time actually walking around with a notebook with little tiny kids who thought I was like, you know, for we were like the most interesting thing on planet Earth, like this white person, weirdo doing totally incompetent, like walking around the village. And so I spent a lot of time just like pointing at things like tree or car or whatever. And then they would tell me the Mandinka word for it and I'd write it down and then try to learn it. And so that was an early memory. Um, The other thing that I remember is that during our uh, job training in Tendaba camp, a lot of the second year volunteers, uh, the Gambia uses like a, everybody kind of comes in June and they come once a year. So the people that that were in their second year of service would come and meet with us and help us with the training. And what I remember the most was when meals were delivered, these people consumed food like they had not been fed and they would like crack chicken bones and suck the marrow out of the bones. And I was just like, what has happened to you? Like, it has been one year since you arrived here. Um, So I remember that definitely. In the Gambia, we all had Gambian names. So I never went by my name, Jen. I went by Kadi Dabo for the entire two years. And there was a really cool um, naming ceremony process. It's the same process they use for babies when they're born there. So early in training, all of the volunteers were given their Gambian name by their host family. And there's specific food and drink and um, like a ceremony that's performed by the imam, the the religious leader of the village uh, for each of the volunteers. So I remember that being really special and feeling more part of the community. In general, Gambians are very, very warm and welcoming, super open. You know, the kids are super curious and there's a lot of them. So I remember spending a lot of time with children early on. So we'll kind of shift gears a little bit. A component of the Peace Corps' mission is to help promote a better understanding of the Americans on the part of the people served. Um, However, you both experienced this shifting away from that to be more culturally aware and um, impactful, like from what you were getting from the communities. Um, Can you kind of talk about that switch for you and how that played a role in your um, time out there? Just to riff off that, uh, the mission of the Peace Corps a little bit. One of the things that I look back is really funny. So the Peace Corps has three missions. One is uh, kind of the development goal. So whatever that looks like. teaching other people about Americans and then teaching Americans about other people. And um, the development goal is extremely difficult. So there was a volunteer in the cohort just above mine who made t-shirts that said two out of three ain't bad because ultimately your your services sort of boiled down to this cross-cultural element. At least for me, um, I hope that my interaction in my community and my host family helped other people to understand a little bit about Americans. Um, West Africa is a place and the Gambia is a place where um, most of people's understanding about the United States is rooted in um, 
colonial ideas, about ideas from the media, which is pretty limited there. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the, the ideas and opinions that they had about America were, were false. At the same time, some of the things they believed were actually true. And um, when I didn't want to admit it, once I saw myself in their context or environment, it was like, oh, yeah, this is all, this is true. Probably more importantly, though, because America is a country that's very centered in our world. It has a ton of power. It has a ton of financial resources, was what you just mentioned, which is me learning about Gambia and my fellow volunteers learning about a place that we don't often hear very much about at all. I think over time, I started having a more balanced opinion about both places. So, um, you know, there was a little girl in my community that was three years old and died of a preventable disease. And then you're like, wow, um, you know, like healthcare is a really good thing. And in the United States, it's kind of messed up and it's way better than it is in a lot of places. And so I think for me, um, I just feel such a deep appreciation for having the opportunity to live in a place for a couple of years, a place that's so vastly different from the United States um, in terms of religion and family structure and resources. And um, for me, it has informed so much of my life, even now, 20 years later. How about you, Matt? Yeah, um, I now I want one of those T-shirts yes. because that was... <laughs> because that was exactly how I made it through my first year um, was eventually I came to the realization that two out of the three goals were about building relationships. And so I thought, OK, so if, if two thirds of what I'm doing on my day to day basis is just building relationships, then I'm doing exactly what I'm here to do. So that was how I saw it, um, because definitely when you read the goals, it's a little bizarre. Like you can tell that they were written a long time ago. So I just viewed it as relationship building. And it, like what Jen said, it was interesting to see most people's views of the U.S. in Nicaragua were informed by the over-the-top pop culture in the U.S. and then the U.S.'s constant intervention in Nicaragua. And so every single person over the age of probably eight years old in Nicaragua can tell you exactly who Ronald Reagan is and what they think about him and his legacy. And so that was very interesting, too, because I know there were volunteers that I knew who had to prove that they were not CIA agents and had to, you know, make the rounds of all the elders who fought the Contras and basically go through their whole background and answer questions. And those elders decided if they were allowed to stay in the community or not. And then, I mean, it was always in the back of people's minds that, you know, people always thought, you know, Americans are really good people most of the time and they really want to help. And a lot of Americans do come to help and to, to build relationships. But at the same time, people kind of knew that trusting Americans doesn't work out well, historically. So, Jen, I know for your site that this idea of gender and intercultural awareness uh, provided its own challenges, and you started touching on that a little bit, but how did you navigate some of those main issues or main challenges? Yeah, so I think one of the things broadly to recognize is that the identities that a Peace Corps volunteer brings to their community, particularly visible identities, uh, but also all identities, certainly can impact their experience. So an example that's not my own, but I'll talk about gender in a minute, is we had a couple black volunteers that came from the U.S. to the Gambia, and there were different expectations for those volunteers on the part of the community. They were typically expected to learn language more quickly and integrate more quickly than, than non-black volunteers. So 
just generally, I think that's a really important thing for people to consider when they're going overseas. For me, uh, my gender as a cis female was a huge thing in the Gambia, partially because the Gambia is 98% Muslim or something, and there's very clearly defined gender roles, and those are not violated for the most part. However, I was also, I am white, and so my white identity and my identity as a, as a foreigner, as an American, maybe gave me access to some spaces that other female-identified people would not have access to. So a couple examples. One is that women and men typically don't really interact very much. Women raise children, cook food, clean houses. Men, if they have work outside of the home, which is rare, they are in charge of farming and, and women are in charge of gardening. So there's just very little interaction. In addition to that, like I mentioned before, it's not uncommon for Gambian men with any kind of means to take multiple wives. Up to four is how it's handled in the Gambia. Um, and that's just an interpretation of the Quran. And, and it's definitely uh, tied to economics. So the more money a person has, the more likely they are to be able to take more wives. In addition, in, in West Africa and in the Gambia, what they call female circumcision, what we would call female genital mutilation, is very, very common and was performed widely in my community. So when I was there, uh, my, little, my, my little sister was circumcised, and that was like a pretty eye-opening experience. I think had you talked to me before the Gambia and said, like, what do you think about female genital mutilation or female circumcision? I would have been like, this is appalling. This is horrible. This is like very kind of ethnocentric lens. And um, I'm not a huge fan of it uh, personally at this point, but I think that I'm able to see the nuances of why it occurs there. Um, part of it is that the opportunities for women there are really limited. Um, really, the option is to become a wife and a mother. And if you're not circumcised, you are very, very unlikely to be taken as a wife. And so the idea of shaming uh, mothers or grandmothers or families for having their daughters circumcised is not necessarily the avenue by which to end that practice. Just related to the gender piece, I think it's one of those scenarios where it really jostled any kind of rigidity that I had about these kinds of things, mostly because the, the nuances of how different identities are enacted, how that plays out in a community are often so very complex. And as an outsider, it's very difficult to understand all of those things until you're really in it. And so it's just something that I really appreciated and uh, learned a lot from as a volunteer. So can, can you talk about that adjustment? Like, how do you balance your moral beliefs with, like, what is that mental process that you had to go through when you were there um, between that moral balance and also the cultural relevance? There is some element of like cultural relativity and that people actually know what's best for their own family and for their own community. And so it's a I don't know, it's a tough balance because in a way, um, part of the issue with something like female circumcision, it's rooted in a uh, patriarchal belief, right, that men are in charge and that the only opportunities for women are to get married. Right. And that sucks. And at the same time. Given that reality, women should have choices about their families and their bodies, about what's going to best actualize their own life. And even if that doesn't mean being an activist and pushing against those norms to fundamentally shift the dynamic, that might be the role of some members of the community, but not all. I guess I just had to believe that, like, my host mom knew better than me, period. Yeah. She knew better because she was a Gambian woman. She knew better because she was living that life. She knew better because she was a mom and I wasn't. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I think just being able to kind of live in that space of ambiguity with it. So what were the actions or changes you were seeing in your sites that made you feel like you were making some kind of positive change? Um, so Peace Corps has this uh, motto that they tell everybody that you you have to keep reminding yourself as you go along that they say, um, as a Peace Corps volunteer, you're planting seeds for trees whose shade you'll never enjoy. And one of, I think, probably the most important things I actually did there was I was a part of a, a couple youth groups um, run by this uh, nonprofit. They had a boys youth group and then an older girls and younger girls youth group. Almost every week I would work with the psychologist and try to tie in more health related topics and things like that. And we spent almost a full year with the boys talking about gender and masculinity and different concepts and violence and all sorts of different topics in that realm. We saw that a lot of the boys in the groups were getting in fights less. They were bullying um, their siblings less. They were taking up more positions of leadership in the organization. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was one of the coolest things to see. How about you, Jen? Yeah, I can resonate so much with what you just shared in terms of just so many of the things that I feel the proudest about are feel very small. Truly the thing that I feel the most, most proud about, me and my host mom were like, buds. We did so much together, hung out all the time. Two of my fondest memories of her, with her, one is that in the Gambia, all Peace Corps volunteers got this Trek bicycle that you could ride. And most Gambians don't know how to ride a bike. And so I taught her how to ride a bike, which was just a comedy of errors, but super cool experience. I worked with community member to establish a library at the elementary school in my community, and that was really cool. A complicated kind of issue. A whole bunch of white people from Britain had donated a whole bunch of books, which there was no process for. And so a lot of them were just sitting in these boxes getting destroyed by the weather and insects and that kind of thing. And so this guy, Apa, really wanted to like make that available to the community. And so we spent a lot of time kind of getting that organized and you know, available to the kids and for community members to move in and out of the library and check out books, which is cool. We did a Take Our Daughters to Work Day, which was um, bringing young girls from really rural communities and matching them up with women in the urban areas that had work. And that's just so profound. Again, women working is a very, very limited opportunity to Gambia, particularly in rural communities. And so helping these girls connect with like almost like a second mom that was working outside of the home was a really cool thing. So those are some of the things that I have fond memories of in terms of work projects. Just a few. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> if there was one takeaway you could give our listeners, especially those who may be interested in being a part of the Peace Corps, uh, what would that be? Really look at all your different options because there's a lot of organizations that do a lot of different work. And the Peace Corps, for me, was excellent. It was an amazing experience, and I was able to do a lot of really good work and make really lasting friendships. Look at all the different opportunities that, that are before you and really um, study them. Don't take any organization's word for what they do, because that's another very common thing in international development is a lot of empty buildings and libraries and boxes and things like that. No matter what people end up doing, if you want to get involved working abroad, talk to people who have done it, who liked it and didn't like it, because you'll learn from both of those. I, I had a great experience in the Peace Corps and would highly recommend it to other people. How about you, Jen? For me, uh, at that time in my life, it was a very, very transformative experience. 
and I can't necessarily imagine an experience that might have done that in the same way. I guess what I would say if you're considering the Peace Corps to really ask yourself what your intentions are. Mm -hmm. If your intentions are to save the world, my belief is that the Peace Corps is not the answer. You're probably way better equipped to do that in your your home country um, because you're culturally competent, you know the language and so on. But if your goal is to have a really big adventure and to learn a lot about yourself and to learn a lot about people that are potentially very, very different from you and to lean into ambiguity and to laugh at the unknowns, I think it's a really rich experience. I think it's a great opportunity for many people. I, I just think it's really, really important for people to know what their goals are and what their hopes are and then being realistic about how the Peace Corps can support a volunteer in achieving those or not. Both wonderful thoughts. We are at the end of our episode. Uh, we'd like to thank both of our guests, Jen Johnson and Matt Donovan, once again. Um, we also thank you, our curious audience, for also tuning into Global Connections. Remember, you can always find our show on kcsufm.com under podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on the Office of International Programs Instagram and Facebook pages, as well as KCSU's pages to see up-to-date episodes and new content. This is DJ Cassie Local. And DJ Jada J Global. And thanks for learning with us today. The views in this podcast are our own and are not the views of Colorado State University, KCSU, or CSU's Office of International Programs.